0: The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. And so we are engaged over these weeks together and months coming up on the greatest sermon ever preached. The sermon on the mount, the sermon from Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, that the greatest preacher ever is the one who preached at Christ himself and that he came, and at the inauguration of his kingdom ministry, when his public ministry at the age of 30 uh, began there in Israel, in the ancient Near East, uh, that he started, as it were, by preaching, by saying, these are the kingdom truths. These are the marks of citizenship within the kingdom. This is what it looks like. This is who you are, and what you are now a part of, if you place your faith in me, that is Christ, that you will be a part of all of this. And so chapters 5 through 7 should be something that the Christian reads regularly, to get back and to be regrounded, as it were, to go, no, no, this is who I am, and this is what I believe, and this is what life looks like within the kingdom of heaven, And Jesus began right out of the gate as he gathered the disciples around him. It says that he went up on the mount and the disciples came in near in that inner circle around him. Uh, But then the crowds would have pressed in around uh, to listen in because they had never heard anybody teach uh, with the kind of authority and the power that Christ, the true rabbi, uh, was preaching with. And they were hearing, as it were, right out of the gate, the Beatitudes. Uh, these first verses of chapter 5, uh, that they were statements not of what you have to do in order to gain the kingdom. These weren't the to-do list of come, do these things, be merciful, be a peacemaker, be mournful, be this, get persecuted, and if all of that happens, then you get to be a citizenship, citizen of the kingdom. No, he was saying, if you have faith in me, and you have life in me, this is who you are. These are characteristics, these are, are things that others will see and you will see cultivated within your life. I've repeated it every week because I think it's one of the best statements I have ever read when Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the wonderful pastor in London during uh, the Second World War, has said that the Beatitudes were a description of the person most to be congratulated in all of the world. To say that you, you... If you have these characteristics, oh, you are the most blessed of people in the world. uh, That you are considered the one who gets to see God, and only you get to see God. You get to receive mercy. uh, That you get the kingdom. uh, That you get deeply satisfied. That all of these things, they're yours in Christ. And so they're really descriptions of the believer. And if they're descriptions of the believer, then we have to ask of ourselves, if we claim to be a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, are they descriptive of me? And if they're not, then either we have a shallow and a weak faith and we need to enhance it and to dig deep and to cultivate uh, these things in our life, or we have to challenge ourselves to go, maybe I am not a follower of Christ. Maybe I've tried to do this on my own by my own merit, and I want to follow Christ and have him as my savior. And so at that moment, we, we gain this and we begin to see it change in our lives over time. Because the reality of the scripture is who you are in Christ matters more than what you do. Some of you have grown up in a church where you have been taught, clean up and come to Jesus. Get your stuff together, get your act together, and then God will accept you. If you stop doing a few things and you start doing a few of these positive things over here, then Jesus will love you. And you are having the most difficult of times to get rid of that. Because you want to believe what you're hearing as you read the scripture and you hear preached regularly from, uh, from our church and what you've heard at other places and other times. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself, for it is not a work of man so that none should boast. But God, rich in mercy, saved you when you were in the midst of your mess. He didn't say get cleaned up, uh, get gussied up, uh, get looking better, and, and then I'll love you. He loved you in the midst of your mess. Isn't that nice to think about? That he loved you in the midst of your mess. Wouldn't it be great if dating was like that? That you could just go, hey, this is what you're going to get if we get married. So I'm just going to come out of the gate like this. And the other person would go, "Woo, nope, nope, not signing up for that. See, the beauty of the gospel is this. Jesus sees all of that. God the Father saw all of your mess even more than even you can see. And he said, Yes, I'm going to love you in my Son. So that he who knew no sin could, would become sin on your behalf, so that you would become the very righteousness of God. And that's the beauty and the amazement of the gospel. That's the starting point. So now, with that as the starting point, we come to the Beatitudes and we understand them differently. We understand them by going, oh, so the person who gets to see God is the person who has a pure heart. Oh, blessed the sons of God. If I'm a son or a daughter of God, that means I'm a peacemaker. If I'm a child of God, I'm a merciful person. It's describing me in that way. So let's look at these verses now this morning and trust that the Holy Spirit will do his work. Beyond the work of the one speaking this morning, let's come now to God's word. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and he went, when he sat down, his disciples came to him. This is Jesus speaking. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of his holy word. Amen. And so we come now to this beatitude in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Another way to read that is Blessed are the peacemakers, for they and they alone shall be called children, sons, daughters of God. And so we're coming and looking at three things this morning. First, answering the question, what is a peacemaker? Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, What does it mean then to be a peacemaker? What does a peacemaker look like? What are some of the positive things about it? And also what are the things that uh, we shouldn't have uh, within that definition? And then we're going to take that and go, where does this come from? Well, a peacemaker resembles her or his uh, heavenly father. Uh, So the second thing is seeing this idea and truth and characteristic of peace within the father. That true children resemble their father. And then the final thing is the source of our peacemaking and the ability to be a peacemaker in this world comes from Christ. So that Christ is the ultimate peacemaker. And so we're going to look to Him. So the first thing is, what is a peacemaker? What is a peacemaker? Simply defined, peacemaker, shalom maker. Uh, that peace, the word peace, Hebrew word shalom, is the word that means flourishing. It means completeness. It means a fullness. It is not just the absence of... Uh, of of violence or the absence of conflict or the absence of strife it it is those things but it is more than that It, it is saying that a peace that God gives the shalom of the kingdom of heaven is a fullness of the life designed for us in him that he is saying I'm the prince of peace that I'm the king of peace that my kingdom is a kingdom of peace it is a place of flourishing that's what we receive from Christ And that's the desire that we have in our lives. That you just don't make it by. Some of us are just like, I just want to make it by. And I'm like, don't sell yourself short. You want to flourish. You really want the shalom. What you should be aiming for is, I want to experience the fullness and the completeness of who I am in Christ and what He has for me. The full promise of God to us. That it bears that idea of wholeness and overall well-being. And the second word, maker, is simply this, it's not a passive word. It is a word, as one writer put it, dynamic, it's a dynamic word bursting with energy. You are saying that this person isn't passive, but is aggressive, is one who is action-oriented towards the development of shalom within their own life, within the life of those around them, and within culture and society as a whole. It actively pursues peace in its fullness, He or she pursues more than the absence of conflict. She or he pursues wholeness and well-being within the individual, within the relationship, within our world. So with that defined, let's look and break it down a little bit more of what a peacemaker is not. Let's start at the negative. What a peacemaker is not. A peacemaker is not just an easygoing laissez-faire kind of person. A peacemaker is not a person who does not care what anyone else does as long as it just doesn't bother them. That's laissez-faire. That's going, you can do what you want to do as long as it doesn't affect me. That's not peacemaking. And that's not a characteristic of a biblical peacemaker. A biblical peacemaker also is not a person who is simply tolerant. Well, you do your thing, I'll do mine. It doesn't just tolerate these things in the world, uh, but a peacemaker is aggressive and tries to rectify things. Also, a peacemaker is not simply an appeaser, peace at all cost, peace at any price. If you consider your family of origin, and you consider maybe even your family now, how many of you find yourself in the role of being the peacemaker? Anybody? Wow, a lot of conflict unresolved in the world today. This sermon's for you. Some of you are terrified, like, if I raise my hand, she's going to hit me. Because, and uh, no. Well, in my home, and I had a good home, I had a loving father and a loving mother and a great sister. I didn't think she was so great back then, but she really is uh, great. Uh, But I found myself in the role of peacemaker in our home. But what I found was I was using non-biblical peacemaking qualities finding myself in that situation mom and dad dad you go over there mom you over there if you can't speak nicely to one another you go to your room I would literally put my parents in time out <laughs> my sister was like hey you got to do this we got to do this hey by the way you know uh, if we do this then dad gets upset and so we shouldn't do this peace at all costs we shouldn't do this, or at least we shouldn't be found out about this. So let's have some private packs uh, over here that you'll know about this sinful behavior. I'll know about this sinful behavior. But we won't let mom and dad know about this sinful behavior because we want peace at all costs. And then we would look and go, well, I see uh, bad behavior on behalf of somebody in the family, but I'm not willing to bring it up because if I bring it up, then there's going to be conflict and I can't stand conflict. You realize a pacifist is not a peacemaker. An introvert isn't just a peacemaker an extrovert isn't just peacemaker it has nothing to do with your personality types by the way it has to do with how you approach it and so these are the negative these are what peacemaking is not so let's look at what peacemaking is peacemaking because in that situation that I just described for you it wasn't honest and biblical peacemaking is honest biblical peacemaking is truthful A biblical peacemaker, a follower of Jesus Christ, who is a peacemaker, is one who admits that there is a problem, who honestly assesses the situation, who looks with truth and says something's not right here. There is something going on. Uh, that you step into that place and you honestly assess it in that. And in that assessment, what you are doing is you are guarding against the tendency which so many of us have. And that's this biblical uh, spiritual uh, fruit that some people try to add to the list, and that's glossing. That we have a spiritual gift of glossing over. Well, it's fine, it, it, it's okay. How are things in your marriage? They're fine. How are things with your kids? Good. We gloss. We, and the, the picture is that if you've ever come uh, along a wall, and there's one down the hallway, and, and there's this big crack uh, that goes down the wall. And, and we've glossed it before. We've skim-coated it with some mud, and, and we painted it over, but we didn't fix the crack because the problem uh, is a foundational issue. And the foundation has shifted just enough and it caused a crack so you can gloss over it. Well, you see, there's a biblical problem with that and it comes from Ezekiel 13. Who knew that drywalling had something biblical, right? Ezekiel 13, 10 and 11. Peace, peace, when there is no peace, merely plastering over the cracked walls. The plaster obscures the cracks, but when the rain comes, the true state of the walls is revealed and the walls crumble. Biblical peacemaking isn't that. It doesn't gloss over it. It doesn't say it's fine. That bad behavior, it's fine. That sinful behavior, it's fine. This distance between us, it's just fine. Let's just gloss it over. Because when the rain comes, the gloss goes away. And the true problem is exposed within it. Jeremiah 6.6 6 says, They have healed the wound of the people lightly. They have healed the wound of the people lightly. Saying, Shalom, Shalom, when there is no Shalom. So truth is, in biblical that biblical peacemaking is honest it's honest about the true nature of the relationships in which you are engaged in and it's honest about the true nature of relationships within the world let's start at home first how many of you would say that you are currently in or have been in relationships that could use a little peacemaking anybody chickens come on these are like low-hanging fruit questions for y'all I'm not asking if anybody can tell me the difference between superlapsarianism and infralapsarianism, which are actually things, by the way. We're all in relationships that could use a little peacemaking. You know why I know that? Because you're in them. And I'm in them. And that means if I'm in a relationship, I ain't perfect. If you're not from down here, that means I'm not perfect. And neither are you. And so there needs to be some peacemaking. So we need to be honest about that. We need to look at our beloved or we need to look at our friends. We need to look within our families and go, all isn't right in Denmark tonight. All isn't right. And we want to be honest about that. But some of us are so terrified to admit that. Because if we're honest about it, we would honestly have to admit that we're part of the problem. We'd have to take the biblical warrant that says before you go looking at the speck in someone else's eye, you would look at the log in your own before you go hey you're the problem in this and i want to be a peacemaker so bill told me to be a truth teller so here we go i'm just putting into practice a sermon today you're the problem no honestly be, honesty begins here hey there is a problem i want to be at peace with you and what i'm recognizing within this is i'm going to own what i need to own i'm going to admit where i'm wrong and some of you are going but bill i'm not wrong there's where you can begin because you'll go back and you'll start to apply all of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, the humbled, the one who knows themselves well. And you'll go, hey, in this meekness I can approach the other person with honesty. Honestly admits, honesty admits tensions and wrongdoings on both and either side of the equation. And what you're willing to do is put truth first before peace. Listen to James 3:17. The wisdom from above. Is first pure, then peaceable. Some of you have that order reversed. You are saying peace at any cost, even the cost of truthfulness. But that's not biblical peacekeeping and biblical peacemaking. And so the order is important. Don't just say peace, peace. So, first, peacemaking is uh, truthful and honest. Second, it is vulnerable. It is vulnerable. It is willing to risk something it's willing to risk pain it's willing to risk uh, your own reputation Uh, it's willing to risk because you're willing to step in and you're willing to say hey uh, I want to make things right I want to do this and in the midst of that peacemaking can be painful right in order to get down sometimes you have to skim off the all the other coats Of things that were there. And you're having to break through. And you're having to get down to a crack. That is foundational in its level. And you're having to begin to work there. And you're having to expose your heart. And you're having to have somebody look at you. And go and you know you're part of the problem too. You have to say yeah I am. And it's painful when you have to admit that. But you're willing. The temptation to let things slide. But bringing about peace. uh, it, It can't happen. That you have to bring about peace. Willing to risk pain. For the greater shalom. Risk take, or peacemaking is also proactive. It's not just honest. It's not just vulnerable. But it's proactive. We've already touched on this. So I won't say much more about it. Other than saying this. Use this language going for wage peace. Wage peace. We use those words normally this way. Wage what's the next word? War. I would say biblically what you're supposed to do is wage peace. You are supposed to be assertive. You're supposed to be aggressive. You are eager for Ephesians 4, 3, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Pursue what makes for peace and for mutually mutual upbuilding. Pursue it. Be aggressive. Be proactive in it. Don't sit back. Here's how so many people work with peacemaking. Bill, I'm glad to be at peace with the other person. I'm just waiting for them to come to me. I would love to be at peace with my beloved. I would love to be at peace with my kid. I'd love to be at peace with my parents. I would love to be at peace with my friend. And I am willing to do that as soon as they take the first step. Folks, guess what I know about that? You're not getting towards peace. I've had that conversation so many times in my office. And the reaction that I have is always the same. Then don't expect peace to come. You pursue peace. Here's the person who needs to pursue peace in your relationships. It's the person sitting in your chair, right? If you're waiting on the person next to you, it's not going to happen. And here's something else you need to know a short little caveat peacemaking isn't always successful, but it should always be attempted. It's not always successful, but it should always be attempted. Romans 12, 18. If possible, So far as it depends upon you, be at peace with one another or live peaceably with all. What it's saying is this. You can't sit back and wait for the other person. You go be at peace. But then at the end of the day, it is up to them. They can receive that and they can humble themselves and come and be made right with you. Or they can stand back and they can go, I don't want to have anything to do with that. But your conscience before the Lord has to be clean and clear to be able to say, but I tried. I tried on my own. And some of you right now are thinking, man, I got some work to do. There is somebody that I need to be made right with. I have not given it my all. I have not given it a very good attempt. I've been waiting on them. And folks, let today be the day that you can begin to change those relationships. Be a peacemaker and draw towards it. So peacemaking, that's what biblical peacemaking looks like. And biblical peacemaking and peacemakers, children of God, because it says, blessed are the peacemakers for they and they alone shall be called children uh, of God. And they take on, we take on the characteristics of our God of our Heavenly Father. If we are adopted as sons and daughters of the King, which we are, by grace you have been saved, that you are now adopted as sons and daughters of the King, you have the Spirit of Sonship imparted in you that cries out, Abba, Father. So now you reflect the characteristics... Peaceableness and peace, shalom giving started with God. It's one of his characteristics and it's one of those communicable or communicated to us, shared with us characteristics given to us when we become a Christian. That in the scriptures it says, Hebrews 13, now may the God of peace who brought from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, do this work in you. Romans 15, 13. May the God of peace be with you all. First Thessalonians 5, 23. Now may the God of peace. So it's saying that God is a God of peace. And if we're children of God, which we are, then we reflect our God. We reflect our Father. We've been looking at pictures from our oldest son, Will's wedding recently. And one of the things that I've noticed... Uh, is that he looks an awful lot like me. I think that's great. (laughs) He loves some of those. The hairline, he's a little disappointed with. But other than that, but he looks like me. And people look at those pictures and go, oh my gosh, he's your son. Like, yeah, he is. He has certain characteristics, both physically, but otherwise characteristics of personality. All three of my boys look like me in some way, and they look like Lisa in some way, for they are our children. And children reflect their parents at some level. Not by blood, but by being in that family. And it's the same way in the Christian family. We reflect our parent. We reflect our Heavenly Father. And if He is a God of peace, then guess what we are? We are children of peace. We reflect that characteristic. It cannot be void within our lives. For we reflect our Heavenly Father. Once we have become a child of God... Through faith in Christ, we resemble our heavenly father and our savior, Jesus Christ, who is, by the way, called the prince of peace. Peace. He is our prince. He is our sovereign in that. And so let's end our time by looking at him for just a moment, that Christ is our ultimate peacekeeper and our ultimate peacemaker. I cannot overemphasize to you the radical nature of the call to be peacemakers. It is not humanly possible to do what the scriptures have called us to do. Love your enemies, don't curse them. Die for them. Submit yourselves to them. Be at peace with them. If peace and full flourishing and full wholeness and all of this lack of strife and lack of enmity between one another was capable on a human level, then by now we would have beaten our swords into plowshares. But we haven't. Why? Because this peace is a peace that transcends human effort and human ability. You have to have a source that is beyond you in order to do it. The radicalness of Christ's call to peacemaking demands an absolute full renovation of who you are. That's why we talk about spiritual transformation. It takes your very life being changed and transformed by Christ. It's looking at Him and being filled by Him because it says that when we become a Christian, guess where Christ resides? In you. Christ, the perfect picture of peace and of shalom, takes up residence within your life. And now that peaceableness, now that peacemaking begins to work its way out. And you recognize that this Christ first made peace for you through the cross with the Heavenly Father. That He came and He made this Possible and secured it for us in Himself. That this peace that He gave to us, now we're at peace with the Father. And my dad once went to the hospital to visit a chronically ill uh, man who was dying. And he asked the man the question that he would ask anybody who was in that situation Have you made peace with God? And the man's response was, I didn't know we were quarreling. Folks, if you are without Christ, you are quarreling with God. You are at enmity with God and you need Christ to bring peace with God through his cross. And then when we're now connected to God through Christ, we are connected as peacemakers with one another. That we're to live at peace with one another. Let me ask the question again to you. How many of you can think of a relationship in your life that you would like to see there to be more flourishing and shalom and peace within? You have the power within you in Christ to see that happen if it's in your marriage, you have the source of power that raised Christ from the dead, who seated him in the heavenly places, who brought your dead heart to aliveness in Christ, brought it and changed it and now seated you in that place. This very power which called the universe into being, this very power which speaks and the world shakes, this very power is implanted within you. And guess what you now can have the hope of? Some peace within your marriage, some peace within your life, peace within your family unit, peace with your friends, peace with your boss there is that opportunity but you have to go to the right source you do not and I do not have the ability in and of myself and what we recognize is this this was not cheap it cost Christ everything for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on heaven on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of of the cross it's a costly peace and if it cost Christ something to find and to bring peace it will cost us something to find peace with one another he said I give you my peace my peace I leave with you isn't that incredible to think of Jesus Christ, the greatest gift giver, as He was leaving, and He was leaving His disciples, and they were terrified. What are we going to do? He said, I'm leaving you a gift. I'm leaving you something, and it's my shalom. The flourishing of the fullness of life which I experience, I deposit in you. It is in you, and it is growing, and it will flow. Remember we said that all of this is the overflow of the life? Well, part of that overflow is peacemaking within our life Christ shows us how to attain it and how we attain it is by giving ourselves away by that vulnerability, by that costliness, by it costing us something. Peace is expensive. It costs us something to attain it in order to get it. But you see, peacemakers are willing. See how all the Beatitudes tie together. If you recognize that you had nothing and you mourn and you're hungry and you're emptied in your poverty and you see in your meekness all that now Christ has done to fill your righteousness up and that you are righteous in him. Now you look and you go, how could I ever not be at peace with another person? How could I ever set myself above them? but I, like my Savior, am going to come in and I'm going to admit what I need to admit and I'm going to be honest about my own heart and I'm going to come in with some fear and trepidation, but I'm going to come in and I'm going to say, I want to be at peace with you. I want to be at peace with you. And people are going go, you're above that. You should never lower yourself to their level. Oh, have you ever heard anybody say that? Never lower yourself to their level. Oh, what if Jesus held that same little axiom? What if that was the bumper sticker that he had on his car? We would have no hope, but he lowered himself to our level, becoming sin on our behalf that we might become. So it costs us something. So let me give you a couple of questions uh, as you leave today to think about this week. The first question is simply this. Are you a peacemaker? with the people who know you, the people who are in your life, would they say one of your characteristics, one of the qualities of the person that you are, is one of peaceableness. That you're a peacemaker. I don't do it perfectly, by the way. And I've got, at some level, a bad reputation within the church. And here's my bad reputation. People think I love conflict. Folks, I hate conflict. It wears me out. Ask Lisa. I get worked up before it, and I get exhausted after it. But one thing that I'm absolutely passionate about is peace within the church. And I will have conflict with you. I will will try to bring it up so that we can work together to be at peace. Because the vows that you took this morning, those of you who are new members, and if you're a member of our church, you you took a vow for the peace and the purity of the church. And you're willing to fight for it. So you're willing to say, I'm willing to offend you because I want to, I want to wage peace in our relationships. And folks, we need to do that more within our lives, to not just live near each other, but to live with each other in these things. So are you known as a person uh, of peace? Are you given, as it were, on the other end of that, to speaking words of division or of slander or of gossip or rumors? Or innuendo. I heard one this week. Bill doesn't care about old people. In the church. I didn't know that about myself. But Somebody was saying it. Not to me. But somebody was saying it. So that everybody could understand something. That's not peacemaking. Peacemaking is. I've been wounded by you Bill. Because I feel that I've been marginalized. And I want to come to you and I want to express my heart to you, not to the unspoken masses, but I want to speak to you and I want to say to you, you hurt me, but I want to be at peace with you and allow that to happen uh, in that way. Peacemaking doesn't talk rumors and innuendos and gossips out there. Peacemaking follows biblical principle of coming one unto another and talking about things. Peacemaking doesn't hold grudges. Peacemaking doesn't hold grudges. There's some friends of ours in Memphis, Tennessee. And I was talking to him one time and I said, how are things with your marriage? He goes, well, you can ask my wife. I was like, well, why don't you ask your wife? He goes, well, she hadn't talked to me in a week. I said, what do you mean she hadn't talked to you in a week? He said, well, when she gets upset with me about something or I do something stupid, then she doesn't talk to me for a week. And I said, well, then what happens after the week? He goes, well, we just get over it and move on. It doesn't hold grudges. Peacemaking deals with things. Peacemaking doesn't wait years. Peacemaking doesn't allow things to fester. I heard a great quote one time. Bad news doesn't age well. It's not like a good wine. Lack of peacemaking, it doesn't age well. And so we're engaged with those things. And then the final question I'd ask is, do you reflect your Heavenly Father and your beautiful Savior in your pursuit of peace? Now with that, I'll ask you this. Be wise in how you do it. Don't just come out of the gate today and go, hey, Bill said we're going to do this. Let me just tell you. Here's what's happening. And I, I don't need a line today, but I would love to talk to you at some point if I've hurt you. And we need to be made at peace. But begin to do that lovingly. Ask the Heavenly Father. And sometimes here's how peacemaking begins. Don't wait for the other person to come to you uh, and say, you did this to me. Why don't you approach the other person and say this. I know there's something between us and I want to be made right with you. Not that you've done something to me, but I want to be made right with you uh, in those things. The beauty of the gospel. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons and daughters of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you uh, that you have blessed us in Christ. That we're adopted as sons and daughters. That we now reflect our heavenly Father. That your peace, your shalom, the very characteristic of who you are by nature is seen within us, implanted in us by your Holy Spirit. And that we can now be agents of peace, peacemakers within the world. And so, Father, help us to do that in a way that brings you glory and honor. And would you work through our brokenness and fallenness so that we could see these good things happen. And the world come to be at peace with their maker. To Christ be the glory. Amen.